Welcome to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada, a podcast about ex-cadet women mentoring and building community together. I'm your host, Amanda Calhouse, a graduate of the Royal Military College of Canada, class of 1994 in electrical engineering. So good evening. Today on the podcast, I have with me Christine McGregor. Christine, how are you doing today? Great, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm I'm excited to talk to you, not only because you were one of my roommates at RMC, but also because you've you've had, I would say, a very different path than um, all of my other guests so far, which is one of the things I'm excited to talk about. So maybe you can just tell our listeners when you attended military college and which one, and then we can sort of dive right in. <laughs> sure. Yes, absolutely. I started at Royal Military College in Kingston in 1990. And had I graduated, I would have been part of class of 1994. And it's really shocking to think of how much time's gone by. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. What programs were you in? And, you know, what, what was your planned military career? And how long did you end up staying? I was considered Sealy Land for my classification and entered into RMC in the engineering program. I didn't stick in engineering for the time that I was at RMC, though. I actually went back and forth from engineering into arts and then back into engineering, which is probably also a slightly unique to me story. (laughs) Um, Well, I think that happened to a couple. I think one of our other classmates that happened to as well, right? Uh, Kathy Malley. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Quite right. Could be. I think it, there was a weird thing that happened at that time where they're like, yeah, you can do arts as a Sealy officer. And then they said, no, no, you can't. No, you can't. Was, yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. It was, um, I was in first year engineering. I, I did struggle academically. And so they thought, um, they thought, well, try, try arts. And so I went into, to the arts program And then, yes, at some point uh, along the way, they said they figured out that my classification didn't line up with my, um, with the academics, with being in art. So they said, no, you have to, you have to do the engineering. So I went back to that. Okay. So you did the basic training and the second language training. I did. I, I did basic officer training. I have quite a few very, very solid memories from that time. Um, solid memories from recruit term and second language training was actually wonderful. I never regretted any of the time I spent at Royal Military College. One of the best things that happened to me was second language training. The only thing I regretted was not keeping up with the language, with the skill of speaking French. Mm. You know, that was, that was a gift really. I think I became bilingual by the end of that summer. And now I just, (laughs) I wouldn't be able to speak it very well, I'm afraid. Uh, That's okay. So then tell us a little bit about what you do now and, and how did you get into that? Well, after I left RMC and I left RMC after a year and a half, again, of going between the two programs, I was looking for something completely different than um, what I was doing at RMC. 
And uh, that led me to investigate a career uh, called respiratory therapy. So I went to college for the respiratory therapy program and graduated, uh, funnily enough, on track in 1994, just in mm -hmm. a different program entirely. Uh, so I became a respiratory therapist in that year. And 1995, I joined a home care company, which provides respiratory services to complex and chronically palliatively ill uh, patients in the community. And I've been with them since 1995, doing a variety of different roles. I've been doing, I initially started doing direct patient care as a respiratory therapist. Mm -hmm. I did that for about five years. And then I had an opportunity to move into a uh, business development and marketing role within the organization. I did that for about five years again. And then I was offered a position as uh, assistant manager of uh, one of the branches for the company that I work for. I was the assistant manager, manager for a number of years. And then uh, in, in 2015, I was offered the, the manager role within, within the organization. And I've been doing that for, for well, since, since 2015 now. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so same company, different roles. It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I find it interesting. I've seen a mix, right, of guests we've had on the show that, you know, whether they stayed in the military or got out, but some interesting where, you know, people have gone to a company and, and stayed there for, for many mm -hmm. years. And so it's it's always, I'm, I'm always curious. So maybe for you, I'll ask this question slightly differently, because usually I ask it about, you know, military service, your, your situation was a little bit more unique. But, you know, 26 years in the same company is a long time. So why do you stay, you know, and have you ever thought about leaving to, to go somewhere else or to do something different? Yeah, I think one of the things that has allowed me to stay is because it is an organization that has allowed me opportunity for growth. I've been able to do different things within the same organization. It continues to challenge me and interest me. I also have a deep connected passion to the work that we're, we're doing. I believe in what we are doing. Um, we're not just providing a service to these community patients, but we're also trying to expand the role of the respiratory therapist within our local community, outside of the hospital setting. Um, I believe that there's more work that needs to be done, more patient care that can be done in the community, and that we have an opportunity to fill a major gap that that exists currently, at least in the province of Ontario. There's a lot of work that we could be doing, and I I just passionately feel that that that's important work, and mm -hmm. I love to do it. That's um, awesome. I I I think it is different, though. You're right. I think I also come from a generation where I feel like uh, being a Gen Xer, we're a little bit more proud of length of service, where mm. I feel like the up and coming generations, that isn't quite as important to them to yeah, be with the same true. organization for five years, 10 years, 
you know, they don't, they don't, they're not driven the same way that a 30 year pin doesn't mean them as much as <laughs> someone my yeah. age. I think it's been interesting over the course of, you know, the last 15 years, maybe, you know, you've seen sort of a shift and, and part of it has been a shift of companies maybe recognizing, you know, the change in employee behaviors. But I think also there aren't as many companies around that maintain, you know, are able to to create, you know, those length of service environments for people as well. I mean, I'm fortunate to be at one as well, but it, it's an interesting time, right? Because I think you and I were talking earlier, our kids, you know, about our kids and I I can't imagine that our kids will have uh, the same types of opportunities that we've had to be able to stay at a company for, for 20 plus years either, right? So there's that aspect to it as well. Exactly. And, and companies have to get smart about that and they have to invest in their employees. They have to work on employee engagement. They have to figure out what their employees want to stick around. And like I said, for me, it it's... Um, feeling passionate about the work, feeling like I'm offered variety. And I do believe I will be with the same organization until I retire. Wow. That says a lot. And I have to say, especially after the last two years with COVID, right? Because I mean, <laughs> I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about it because I mean, you work in respiratory therapy <laughs> and this is a respiratory disease. So yeah. I, I can only, I, I mean, I'm not even sure I can truly imagine what your life has been like over the last couple of years and that of your teams, to be honest. So, you know, I wanted to I think it's fantastic that you are still at a point where you care this much about seeing change. So what are some of the things that, you know, you're hoping to see as a result of having gone through this? Well, a couple of interesting things about this journey has been that there were a lot of people who readily admit that they don't know what a respiratory therapist is. You know, they know what a doctor is and they know what a, a nurse is, but they don't know what a respiratory therapist does. And it's yeah, that's a good point. Maybe I, I I take for granted because I know I've known you since you became one. Yeah, and and also one of my one of my old roommates, his his brother is a respiratory therapist, so I sort of take it for granted. But yeah, explain for our listeners what is a respiratory therapist. <laughs> that's a good call. <laughs> well, a respiratory therapist is is a specialist in respiratory care, so we would have a role in maintaining an airway in an emergency situation. So like in the ER, a respiratory therapist job is at the head of the bed, maintaining that airway. In an ICU, the respiratory therapist is running the ventilator if somebody has to be ventilated. Respiratory therapists work in operating rooms as well. They work alongside the anesthetists. Um, and in home care, we're doing complex and long-term work with folks who are at home. So our job is to try to transition patients from the hospital setting into their home safely. So right. to train their care providers and how to do their care and the maintenance of the devices and the equipment and the supplies Right. That could be teaching and doing trait changes in the home for those that mm -hmm. have, have had uh, a, a tracheotomy. 
We are looking after folks who are chronically dependent on, on oxygen at home. We have a, a huge role in palliative care support for those who, who are benefiting from palliative care medicine in their home. Uh, so it's specialized, but it's also quite varied. So you could mm-hmm. be in a hospital or you could be in kind of the home care setting. There's lots of respiratory therapists who go beyond that too and potentially work in, in administration in a hospital setting, perhaps working, affecting policy at the government level as well. So there's quite a bit of work that, that we can do in healthcare as a respiratory therapist. Um, I will note that because of the pandemic that people are more likely to know what a respiratory therapist is now versus yeah. three years ago. Very true. Very true. Um, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. It's been a sort of unsung role for for many many years. Even through SARS, I suspect many people didn't realize. <laughs> no, and I've I've been working. I was working in the same organization, uh, doing a slightly different job for SARS. I was in the same organization for H one N one. And I think even we naively thought that this was going to be just like SARS, and it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It hasn't been, as yeah. we all now know. But at that time, sort of thought, well, we've we've lived through one of these before. Right. We'll just right. We'll just do that again. Been, been there, done that. <laughs> exactly. It has been a challenge for sure to be in this industry at this time doing this work. But it's also been very eye-opening to see how different healthcare organizations have come together to bring their resources together to benefit patients. You see a lot of, when it comes to leadership, you see a lot of servant leadership where people are putting aside whatever their current job is to be redeployed to do the very frontline work, the necessary work, the boots on the ground work. Right. And it's been quite heartwarming to see people pull together to support our patients in the community. It's also, it's been very hard, obviously, to, um, to be very close to the losses that people have suffered and to deal with teams that are taxed. But, um, yeah. But at the same time, there's been a lot of joy in the teamwork in pulling together. That, that's really good to hear. You know, I haven't been doing direct patient work for a number of years. I gave up direct respiratory therapy work in favor of management in, in 2000. And last year, I was given the opportunity to help do some virtual work for some COVID patients at home, trying to support them in the home as best as we could to keep them out of hospitals. Right. And so I got to you know, dust off those old skills and, and do a little bit of the patient care work. And it was, it was fun. It was enjoyable. And it, it achieved our goal and achieved our goal in, in keeping these, these folks at home. That's awesome. It's amazing, you know, how some of the positive things I think that have come out of this, right? It's, there's lots of negative, but I, I think some of the positives that, that have come out that hopefully will will stick around um, for, for the, the future. You know, things like remote work and, you know, we, we talked about that earlier, obviously not as much opportunity for remote work in healthcare, but it's interesting to see some of the, the changes that, that will affect different intra- industries for long periods after this in a positive way. 
Yes, and I think there will be some positives that will come of it. We're very good at focusing on just the challenges, unfortunately, just as humans. Yeah. Um, but there have been some good things to come of it. And we talked about, like you say, we talked about kids, but I've talked to my kids about this as well, is that folks talk about how this particular generation may be challenged in terms of their education because they had so much stacked against them with first you're virtual, now you're in school, now you're virtual. And, you know, and what will that mean long term? And I said to the kids, you know, it, it might just be that you're the flexible generation, you're the right. adaptable ones because you've had yeah. to. It, you know, it's interesting that you say that because it sort of leads me into my next question, which is your experience at RMC being somewhat unique. I'm curious if there's anything from that that you would say that you learned about yourself. You know, your your kids are learning about adaptability of going back and forth to virtual school. If you think back to your time at RMC, I'm curious, you know, if even in that year and a half, what did you learn about yourself in that process that maybe you still apply today? Well, I think I learned a couple of things. I think I learned that I'm a very stubborn person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give up easily. I maybe should have thought to redirect what I was doing at RMC a little sooner, but not being one to quickly wave the the white flag not being one to quickly give up on on anything be it people be it a job passion anything that i'm doing i just don't give up so i learned that about myself and while stubbornness doesn't sound like a good quality i think it can be mm -hmm. in your life if you use that to your advantage so I, yes, I learned that I'm stubborn. I learned that I'm somebody who does like to be in a position of of leadership. I think that might have been something that that I don't know that I realized before I went to RMC, but that might have been part of the appeal about going, is that that's something that's always been in me. I've always wanted to, I guess, have a say in how to steer the ship I'm on. Even if it's not just me, even if I'm co-steering, I still want to have a say in what direction this is taking. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just part of who I am. And I learned that about myself there. I learned of a lot of other things at RMC that were useful tools for me going forward. I certainly learned as well that having not been successful at RMC as in I I didn't walk away with a a career I didn't walk away with a degree but I certainly didn't walk away with nothing right. I walked away with um to me some invaluable connections I met some fantastic people Amanda uh, people that I've been able to admire either closely or at a distance. Thank you, social media. Mm -hmm. um, I learned some some key tools about leadership. I learned that you don't have to be a, a subject matter expert to lead. That's an interesting one, right? It's you know. Yeah, there's nothing like being asked to 
at 19 years old to lead a group of people to change a differential on a truck at uh, basic officer training <laughs> to realize <laughs> right. Right. that, you know, I mean, they were teaching us tools in leadership. It wasn't about building a rope bridge, really, or changing a differential in a truck. I'm not sure if I know what a differential on a truck is, but I bet you do. I think I do now. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely did not when I was at basic training. Although my my basic training task was, you know, the recce, the bridge recce. That's the one that that's the one that sticks out in my mind. It was the bridge recce that became a a, a Kazavac. And, you know, (laughs) it wasn't that I knew how to do was triage from first aid and lifeguarding and right that, right that was the that was the you know and and the pressure to be able to I, I think what I what I'm you know maybe even didn't reflect back on until just this conversation is that um, you know that was really about being able to keep your cool under pressure more so than anything else which is I suspect a skill that you also learn too. <laughs> yeah, to find out that you're capable of more than you thought you were, to realize that you can go into a situation and be totally unfamiliar. And if you just stop and think and figure out where your resources are, you can manage to think your way through it on behalf of yourself and a group that you're leading. It's quite a phenomenal exercise, really. Like I learned a lot at, at basic training for sure. Yeah. Um, I can't think of another circumstance that one could be in where you could learn anything like it. It's very, very, very unique. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, I learned a lot about what you can actually accomplish in the course of a day if you really try. <laughs> good point, good point. And you know what else I learned? I learned that if you're supposed to be somewhere at 8.30 and you show up at 8.20, you've wasted 10 minutes. But you don't show up at 8.31 either because then you're late. So you have to be early, but just early by one minute. Not two. (laughs) Not three. (laughs) One. That's so that it's interesting that that was your takeaway because uh, one of my takeaways was uh, the hurry up and wait, <laughs> which was like, <laughs> and when we were forming up for parades, every unit, right? So if you're forming up as an entire cadet wing, then the squadron wanted you formed up five minutes before that, which meant the flight wanted you five minutes. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I am now constantly late. For the reason, are you? I You're am, not it's terrible. I'm constantly like How's I am possible? the one minute late person all the time because <laughs> I hate waiting. <laughs> My takeaway from all of that was I hate waiting. It's so terrible. Yeah, I bet you can also polish a good shoe. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't do it so much with the uh, the uh, the shine kits anymore. I've got just a little brush from Aldo that I use, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, I'm curious, um, 
you know, I have a perception that healthcare is a much more female dominated industry than, you know, for instance, the automotive or military. Um, but that hmm. being said, I'm, I'm curious, you know, in your field, have you had leaders that were women and, you know, how did you have mentorship, you know, through your career in, in your field? I did. I've had some very important mentors, <clears throat> both male and female, but you're not wrong about healthcare. It's uh, a bit of a, a mecca for <laughs> um, uh, female leaders, really. It's not, uh, there's no glass ceiling there. There's tons yeah. of women in leadership positions. The company that I work for, the, uh, the vice president and general manager is a woman. And uh, she has been somebody that I've worked for for the vast majority of my, my time at, at the company. Uh, somebody who's been an amazing and important role model and mentor for me. Uh, not only is she a female in the leadership position, but she's also um, a woman who's done that while raising a family. And it's been important to, to watch her balance it all and do all of that. She certainly hasn't been the only mentor that's been important to me, but, um, but certainly she has been very much so. And she's been able to make her family a priority as well as, as, well as the organization. Like there's nobody more dedicated to an organization than she is. And yet she's equally dedicated to her family and supports the rest of us to do the same. I can recall a time as well, which I thought was kind of a neat story to bring up. It was actually a male mentor who, of mine when I was pregnant for my first child. Um, he, he called me. He was in the role of vice president at the time, and he called me to congratulate me because he'd heard that I was expecting, which was really super sweet, super nice. Mm -hmm. He gave me a call, and, um, and I thought that was going to be it. But then he said, um, before he let me go, he said, so let me ask you, Chris. He says, what, uh, when you come back from mat leave, what is it, what is it you want to do next with your career? And I just thought to myself, this is this is the place to be. How lucky am I? Right. Um, the fear as a woman who wants the career and wants a family is that as soon as you get pregnant, you might be seen as, okay, her focus is going to be mostly on the family for the next five to 10 years. Right. She's going to have a child. She's going to have another child. She's going to take yeah. all kinds of time off for the family. But, that was, but his question was, what do you want to do? What are your aspirations? And I thought, that's great. Don't, yeah. don't, uh, don't pigeonhole me. Don't put me in any kind of box. Don't make any assumptions. Ask me yeah. what I want to do. It was great. Yeah. I've never forgotten it. Those are the types of moments you remember, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they really are. That's right. And like I say, the, the VP who I work for now, she will, if there's an opportunity she thinks might suit me or might suit somebody else, if the opportunity doesn't work for me, if I say, well, I don't know if I can do that. There's just a bit too much travel involved and the kids still need me, though they've never admitted at this age, the kids still sort of need me. 
I can't do that travel. There's never, there's never any repercussions for making that decision. She would always circle back and say, good for you. Good for you for, for knowing where you need to be and when you need to be there. And we'll wait, we'll wait for another opportunity to come along for you that, that suits you where the timing's right. And, and you're able to, to take that next step. So it's, it's a very, very fortunate place to be. Women are looking out for women. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, and I think that's, that's the dream, right? <laughs> it's the dream. Is that, you know, that we're, we're here lifting each other up as well, right? As we move up. So in that vein, have you had the chance to mentor other women? And how has that been for you? Yeah, I, I have a um, team of about 20 now, half of whom are, are women. And I take that role very seriously and maybe more so in this particular part of my career where not that I'm looking to retire soon, but it's somewhere on the horizon now, right? right. And looking ahead, I, I have to succession plan. I have to make sure that the right people are in the right jobs and know what they're doing and feel confident and comfortable in, in what they're doing. And so I focus a lot on the next steps and the next leaders in this particular operation. And I want to give them all the opportunities that, uh, that I have had and maybe, and maybe some new ones, knowing that the industry is changing and the up-and-coming leaders are changing. They're younger, they have sort of different aptitudes and different thoughts and just wanting to set them up for success. And yeah. so that's actually a, a, a focus right now that's quite important to me. And I also want to bring in some of the things I've, I've learned from the mentors that I have as well, right? So just kind of taking what I've learned and applying that to this next generation of leaders. It's, uh, it's probably some of the most fun work I've ever had is to work on developing others. Yeah. You must find that too. I can definitely relate. It is, yeah. um, it's one of the things I enjoy most about leadership is the opportunity to, to lead and, and coach others. Yes. And your own success is wonderful, but helping somebody else achieve their version of success is somehow better. It's so funny that you say that. I'm, I'm try. I'll see if I can find it quickly, but I literally just read that on LinkedIn today. And I think it was, I want to say it was a, a post by, by Adam Grant. And it was the idea that, you know, some, some leaders worry about when, you know, their team members start to outdo them, but the really great leaders recognize that that's actually their greatest achievement is when they've been able to mentor or coach somebody to go beyond where they themselves have gone. And I think that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's exactly what you're talking about. I'll, I'll try to remember to look that up and link it when, uh, when we post the podcast. But That's um, right. And it's part of that um, sort of servant leadership thinking, right? That you're spending your time and energy working on serving the team, serving the people on your team and making them feel confident and comfortable and fed and supported and well and the more that they do the more engaged they they are 
the better producers they are. The, the, the better it, for the business, right? Like at the end of the it, day. It, exactly. And just you as a leader sort of taking any ounce of sort of ego out of it to just serve and support them and you just watch watch it grow and it just happens. And then they themselves want to become uh, servants as well, which yeah. ultimately does nothing but help the organization or whomever you're working for. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's a, a great way to, to think about leadership, to be honest. I'm curious, um, you know, do you have any um, any highlights of, of your, you know, leadership or career or even personal over your uh, career that you'd like to mention to our listeners? Because I think your experiences are quite different from others. Well, in terms of highlights, I, I have to say my my greatest joy is my children for sure. <laughs> but in, in so far as highlights of the career, um, I don't know. I think, as I mentioned before, going st- taking a step back into after being out of doing clinical work for so long mm-hmm. and going back into it last year to, to help to keep patients out of the hospital when they were very, very ill with COVID was amazing because I was able to work with my coworkers and, and actually doing the work and serving the patients and working alongside my teammates and having them teach me and allowing myself to be taught by them. It was just a wonderful experience all around. I did love doing that. So that 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 was probably a career highlight in the in the last couple of years was was being able yeah. to to do that, and I don't know it's been um, it, like I say it's been a, a long journey twenty six years the same company and it's 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 been amazing I think I I'm very fortunate I'm fortunate as I look back to have had the opportunity that I had at RMC like I say it's funny because it's. It was a year and a half of my life, and yet it made such an indelible mark on my on my journey. Yeah. And it's been interesting to to look back. And your podcast has has helped me do that reflection as well, because I've put a lot of pieces together, and and I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's that's why I am the way I am, or I've made these choices, or it's, it's helped to inform who I am. And, and, and yet I was only there for a year and a half. Very interesting. But I mean, eight, eight, you know, anywhere from like 17 to 21, like so formidable in terms of like the years of your life at that point. Like I'm not that surprised because I think that's why you know, when I first was having this idea about doing a podcast that it, it seemed like a good basis simply because it was such a time of formation in our lives. So, you know, whether it was a year or five years or 10 years, you know, that people spent in, you know, in the forces, it left a mark. Yes. And I I see you say that because um, even some of the other folks that you've spoken to reflect on say recruit term as being as having such an impact on them and I think wow you've had you've been in the in the military doing some amazing things for 30 years and and recruit term was a big deal to you 
I mean, I, I know why it's a big deal to me, <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but, but with a 30 year military career, I, it was eye opening to think, to, to hear people reflect back on how, how important it was or how it made such an impact on them, just like it did me. So that's, that's, that commonality has been interesting. Listening to, to various women in your podcast is fascinating. I heard crazy train on the weekend again. <laughs> Unfortunately, I seem to hear that mostly when I'm driving, and it's probably not a good time to be hearing it. <laughs> That's funny. I was at least I was at least in the uh, in the hotel <laughs> up at Blue Mountain. But uh, wait, can you can you yeah. get through the song? Because I couldn't. Um, Crazy Train, I can. Yeah, because it was the one that I made the beds to when you guys were out running yeah. circles. yeah because I was on light duties and I was making beds so it doesn't have the worst um oh what a night I really um I I, I would turn it off yeah 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 Yeah. I would turn that off too and I don't know if I've ever even heard goodnight Saigon since like I don't think that's something that comes across very often, that good night song where No, it doesn't get the same airplay. You'd have to find it on Spotify. Yeah, and I don't think I'm gonna go looking for it. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Like I just what a what an interesting time. (laughs) I mean you think about it, right? Like music I, I was reading something the other day about how music creates emotion right and that that's part of what music does and they've now tied this like panic emotion to these songs and And those were some big speakers right oh they were huge like if memory serves they were almost as tall as I am like they were huge yeah yeah they they were they had to be at least four and a half feet tall yeah yeah (laughs) at least they were they were large and I think I don't remember in recruit term I think you you and Tia were beside Kathy and I and I think Kathy and I were beside the speaker (laughs) yes I think it was right at the end of our hall but anyway (laughs) oh my goodness I yeah I look back I just can't believe I I can't believe that I can't believe I survived that I can't believe I survived (laughs) recruit term yeah, I I think a lot of us, I think most of us feel that way about recruit term. <laughs> I I do believe that, that that is a common sentiment. Before we wrap up, though, I would like to give you the opportunity. Is there advice that you would like to give others or, you know, something you'd like to leave our listeners with? I guess as somebody who who started off in RMC and then took a U-turn completely and did something else. Ultimately, I didn't succeed at RMC uh, academically, but I think it's just how you frame your experiences and your potentially your, your lack of successes. I guess my advice would be don't be afraid to take chances. Don't be afraid to not succeed. Uh, Don't let that be a reason not to do something. And if it doesn't work out the way you thought it would, it's okay. You just pick yourself up. You figure out what you learned from that experience. 
and you take what you learned and move on. And you'll never end up really regretting things that you tried and failed at because it just becomes part of you. That learning experience just becomes part of you and will help you and will serve you in some way, some way down the line. It will serve you. So it's, it's okay. It's okay. Try, succeed, try, fail. It doesn't matter. Just try and move on and do something else. I think it's fantastic, Christine, because I think for a long time, our culture, I'll say our North American culture has had this, this thought that, you know, failure is a negative thing. And Mm -hmm. I, and I do think that's starting to change, you know, you hear, you know, startups and, and, you know, industries, you know, like, you know, tech industries where they want to fail fast and learn. And I think people are finally starting to realize that, you know, you can learn through failure and that in itself, it makes it a success because you've well, learned something. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and wouldn't you learn more from that experience? 100% of the time. Yes. So, <laughs> you, you know, you learn and, a lot more by failing at something than by just, you know, being able to do it without, without. That's learning, right. Right. It, it's, yeah. it's the same in anything we do. My, my kids took judo and sensei said, well, I hope at their match that they fail. They said they're just going to learn far more if they fail than if they win a match. Yeah. And that's that's true for life. It's true for anything. And only really fail if you if you learn nothing, if you take nothing away from an experience. That's the only time you really fail. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Christine. It's been great talking to you. Oh, it's been nice to see you, Amanda. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today on the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to us at wmncanada at gmail.com or on Instagram. Special thanks to our podcast editor, Ethan Cuenca.